But Romans chapter 8, go ahead and take a look at it. You know, as we've been walking through the book of Romans, I have just wanted to let, let Romans speak to you. That has been, that has been my goal, is to, is to just use this. Yes, do outlines to help you kind of separate things and hang them on hooks and help you understand it better. But in reality, I've just wanted, because the book of Romans is so foundational and it is so life-changing and it is so, so much explanation that helps because there's so many that have so many different, you know, theories and ideas and, and theologies even. But the book of Romans really gets, it really helps you keep it, keep it right. Uh, therefore, a real understanding of this is, 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 is of utmost importance. Therefore, I've just wanted you, I just wanted just to take the opportunity just to explain, just to go down through the verses and just to explain it to you and let it speak, right? Let it speak. And so, uh, so that's what we've been doing. And we've been seeing quite a bit. The book of Romans was written as an understanding about who Christ is, what he came to do, and then especially today, the impact that has in your life, Right? And so that is what makes chapter eight such a popular chapter. It's a very quoted chapter. Uh, chapters one through three just talk about sin and the problem of sin in our world, okay? And, uh, and, then, the, and then the thought in chapter three that for all have sinned, right? And, and uh, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not even one. So no one ever, who's ever lived is right with God because of, of their own performance and how they've lived in, in following the commands. And so then, you know, then chapters four through seven, we're just, again, I'm, I'm, I'm really, really just, just giving you just a short look here. Uh, we've, been, we've been now weeks walking through this, but when you take a look at these chapters, it talks about who Christ is, what he came to do. It just talks about salvation in and of itself and the difference that, that again, the difference that that makes in your life is found, is found today. So really chapter eight is for those of you, if you're a believer, if you are, if you are in Christ. And so it is, it is, it is a powerful picture. Today, today is, is just one of those days that will be like, wow, if, if you've got ears to hear. Not because I'm saying it, but because this, this part of Romans, this chapter eight is like, for those that are in Christ, it really, it really, really gives you the foundation, the encouragement, the security, the, the everything to be who he's called you to be. So anyway, that's what we're going to go ahead and jump into. Today's title um, is the same as last week's, right? Uh, last week, we started with this title, Freedom in Christ. Therefore, who Christ is, what he came to do, the difference that that has made in your life is that it has set you free from several things. So last week, it was part one. This is part two. And, uh, and I want to do just a little bit of review. Now, I can't take long, but I would really encourage you, especially if you weren't here last week, you need, if you are in Christ, if you do know him, if you are a believer, then you need to, under, you need to understand the chapter eight as a whole. Because, I mean, I had a lady come to me after the, you know, after the last service. And she said, you know, Jeff, I've been, I've been a follower of Christ now for, for years, she was older, and she said, I have always been plagued by doubts if I'm really his, you know, and sometimes I get so concerned and worry, you know, I actually pray to receive Christ again and again and again, and, 
And I didn't realize that, that the chapter eight of Romans was to tell us of the security that we have in him. I said, yeah. And, and she said, it's just incredible. I've, I've, I'm this old and I've been, I've been a believer this long and I've, I've still lived in all of this fear and bondage that I never had to. I said, exactly. I'm telling you, you need to hear it. You need to hear, if you're a believer today, if you're not a believer here today, obviously you'll understand that too when you see, when you see the scriptures. But, but what that means, and it's, it, it, it all begins to fall into place. So let me give you a little bit of review of the last, of, of the last couple of weeks. So today, today is Freedom in Christ, part two. Part one, we started out, so there are four things that I talked about that, that brings freedom into your life. We talked about two last week, okay? Number one, last week, all right, was, uh, was freedom from, from condemnation, right? Freedom from judgment, right? So as you think about, as you think about that, that was, we talked about then, then just basically forgiveness. That as a believer, you know, because Paul had just talked about in chapter seven, he just talked about the struggles he still had on the inside. I am so glad he talked about it because Anytime you and I, I want you to hear my heart here. Anytime you and I try to portray that we don't have any problems and we have it all under control, we're just lying to ourselves and we're lying to everybody around us. Does that make sense to you? So, okay, keep hanging with me here. And, and, and when you try to portray that, that only gives what you're hiding more strength over you. If I'm, if I'm, if I'm understanding. So understanding Paul was real honest when he said, you know, the things I want to do, I wind up not doing them. And then the things I don't want to do, you know, I wind up doing them. He says, I've still got this battle inside. So Paul, in my estimation, perhaps the greatest Christian who ever lived, at least who God used the most, saying there's still this battle inside of him. And so, and so what he's wanting you to understand in chapter eight was, yeah, even though that is, even though that is, even though that's the truth that's there, but there is another truth of who you are in Christ. And number one, you don't have to be worried about, about judgment. Why? Because of who Christ is and what he came to do. All right. So Roman number one, then the first thing we talked about was freedom from judgment. And in chapter eight, verse one, it says that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who were in Christ Jesus. The word, the word in Christ is the key. It is a, it is a term that is used often in the book of Romans. What does it mean to be in him? I'm not talking about being religious. I'm not talking about going to classes or being confirmed or being a member of a church or being baptized. No, I'm talking about what does it mean, the scriptural model, the Romans, what is teaching us, what does it mean to be a believer? What does it mean to be in Christ? Well, it talked about it. We talked about this. And, and this is why this week by week, we've just been letting Romans speak. And in chapter six of Romans, I want you to know that chapter six talked about what it meant to be in Christ, right? And it talked about being baptized, right? Baptized. And uh, can you put the six up there? They had it at the last, uh, at the last one, All right? But in chapter six, I just wanted to say it again. Have you got it? 
Okay, but he talked about being baptized, therefore, with baptism unto death. All right, here it is. We are therefore buried with him. Okay, all right. Go back to verse three. Thank you. All right. Do you not know that all of us have been baptized in Christ? Now, we're not talking about water here. I've shared that with you for three weeks. Water is just a picture of what happened in reality. The word baptized means to immerse or to envelop. So do you not know that all of us who have been immersed in Christ, get away from the water part. The water only, only muddies, it, muddies it up, why? Because it is way out of bounds to put into what water baptism is that that so, somehow makes a difference in a person's life, it does not. Christ is the one that makes the difference. So what does it mean to be in him? Well, the word baptized means, it's just another way of saying being in or enveloped by, or because you're in the water, so it's enveloped by it. It's a picture, right? So you've been baptized in Christ. You've been baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him, baptism and death, in order that is just as Christ raised. So you have this picture. It even goes on to talk about, in verse five, it says, if we've been united with him in a death like his, what is the word united? It means to become one with, to be in Christ. Therefore, it even says in Galatians chapter two, I've been crucified with Christ. Therefore, I'm in him. I was crucified with him. I, was, I died, I was buried with him, and now I'm raised. And so you have this picture of what it means to be in Christ. Now go back to Romans chapter eight, verse one. Right? There is therefore now no condemnation. Another word for judgment. No condemnation for those who are in Christ. So we talked about that. There's great freedom in knowing that you are forgiven completely. And you don't have to walk around with this guilt and beating yourself up, right? Any more than you walk around trying to act like there is no problem, right? There's a picture here of what he's, he's the freedom he's wanting you to understand and to see. Now, I can't talk about that anymore, but that's last week, right? Number two from last week is freedom from sin's control. Therefore, we've had our eyes open, we understand, right? And, uh, and we talked about, about God's spirit that now lives in us. And it talked about in the verse five or six, I believe it is, it talks about is that the God's spirit now lives in us and that there's a big difference between those who are in Christ versus those who aren't. And it talks about those who set their minds. In verse five, it talks about for those who live according to the flesh, that is the way the world says, right? They set their minds on the things of the world. But if you are in the spirit at that, if you're in Christ, you set your mind on the things of the spirit. So it's a direction, it's a, it's a choice, not only just a choice things, but it's who you are. And therefore we talked a long time last week about that, about that difference. And, and, and obviously as a person who is in Christ is going to live different. In fact, a lot of times the, the folks in this world look at you in a strange way because they're like, the things that everybody else are running after don't even seem to be of interest to you, right? And so that's, that's why there's a big difference, right? What do you set your mind on, right? 
What do you set your mind on? That's the direction you're going, and obviously the direction and the changes that come at the end, right? So that kind of uh, gives you, again, it goes on, there's a lot more there. It goes on to talk about those who are, those who are in Christ have become children of God and heirs, right? Joint heirs with Christ. It's, there's a lot there that we're not talking about that we talked about last week. So I really encourage you to get a full picture, to get a full picture of chapter eight to, to go back and listen to last week, which brings us to number three, okay? Which we're gonna talk about today, which is what I'm gonna call freedom from discouragement. And it's more than just like being discouraged. Another word for here, you know, I was trying to come up with the right word here, um, perhaps frustration. Um, whatever it is, there's a, there's a picture here of, of living in this life, because those who set their minds on the thing, on the things of, of, of this world, right? There's gonna be a constant frustration. Why? Because this whole world is about frustration. I mean, everything is frustrating. I mean, let's, let's just think about it, all right? Everything, nothing ever comes easy, right? And, uh, and, we, and, we, and we, hook, we hook onto this, we hook onto that, we think, oh, this is gonna be great, this is gonna be cool. And if we ever do actually get there, we're, we're disappointed after we get there and we're thinking, did I spend all of my time getting to this and this is all that it is? You know, and so there's a frustrating nature to this world. Well, there's a part of here of Romans that explains why it's so frustrating. And it can be really discouraging in this world, frustrating, discouraging. And so that's what's explained here. And one of the great freedoms you have in Christ, if you set your mind on the things of the Spirit, is that you will have freedom from this frustration and discouragement. Doesn't mean you won't have those things because you live in this world, but you won't be ruled by them. You won't be enslaved to them, as it talks about. Again, it'll come clear when I begin to read the, when I begin to read the, the, the verses. Let's just let Romans speak here. So number one underneath freedom from discouragement, you know, uh, or frustration, is in verse 18. And it talks about the great comparison. And, and Paul goes on to talk about this comparison between the two. He says, and it says in verse 18, he says this. He says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us, or even if in us. So what's he talking about there? The sufferings of this present time. Well, I think it can be a, a two or three things. I think it can be number one, the, the sufferings of the early believers. I mean, it was tough and it was gonna get worse. From the time Paul wrote, wrote this and the years that followed, those believers, I mean, they went through it. If you know your history books, you know, Nero blamed a lot on them, but it was not just Nero. It, it just became, it became a sport, right? Persecuting believers. And so, so he's telling them about that. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not even worth comparing of what it will be. So you have then this look, right? This world's not my home kind of thing, Right? But it's not just the sufferings of these early believers, but it's everyone. This, this life, thing called life, there's, it's, it's, it's built for that, right? You know, it's, it's where it is. It's where it goes. And that's what he talks about in these other passages. Um, struggle, hard times, disappointments, 
frustrations, discouragements. It's about what this life is, right? And it gives you the reason why this life is like that. You know, I find that a lot of times people don't even understand and they make all, all kinds of judgment calls and they don't get it. And yet the book of Romans explains it. So let's jump into this piece. And what he's trying to get you to see is, don't set your mind on the things of this world. You see, the people who live in this world, well, we all live in this world, but the people who are counting on this world to come through for them, I want you to understand that they, they're setting their mind on those things, but they never have what it takes to come through. And so, what he's trying to say is, is that's not who you are. Don't get your, don't, you know, don't, don't hit your wagon. Don't set your mind on these things. Why? Because we all know where they lead. So, so number one is the great comparison. Number two, now I'm going to spend some time here because I want you to get this, right? Number two is, is that the creation groans. Now what's the word groan? What's the word groan mean? Well, in this particular case, it means it's a frustration thing. In fact, it's almost to a point where it's hard to explain, uh, but it's easier just to, to tell you. It's kind of like, ah! that's what I'm talking about. All right, if you know what I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about. But it's even more so than that. It includes something that's painful, right? And so it's, 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 it's a frustration, a groan, is, is that's what that is. It's like we would say a, a sigh with pain, right? And it, and it expresses something that words can't really express. That's the word that's used here, groan. Now, it personifies, Paul personifies the creation of which we're a part of. And he, and he, and he, sh he shares with us something that if you've got ears to hear, this will help you. It'll help in your understanding. It says, for the creation, verse 19, it says, for the creation waits. See, so we're personifying creation. So the creation waits with eager longing or eager expectation for the revealing, okay, of those who are in Christ, the sons of God, as we talked about last week. That was the last thing we talked about, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, right? All of those things, right? Uh, and it says here, there, it, it's just longing for the, for the revelation, if you will, the final unveiling, if you will, of those that are in Christ. So, see, verse 20 says, for the creation was subjected to futility. What's he talking about? And he, he continues to go on to explain. The way that you know there's so much to this is because we see it play out all the time. Look at this. It was subjected to futility, not willingly, all right, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself, listen to this, would be set free from its bondage or slavery to corruption. What's he talking about? All right, hang on with me here. Stop long enough to see what he's saying. He's saying is that the very creation itself is frustrated. This life that we live is frustrating, but even the creation itself is frustrated. And what was it that frustrated it? Well, obviously, it talked about obviously the sin that came into the world. 
God made a, it's called the curse. It's called whatever you want to call it, but you'll see it played out in just a minute. If you'll just keep hanging and see, hearing what he's talking about. Therefore, therefore, obviously, I mean, the day that you said, you know, you'll surely die. But what does that mean with the creation? Well, what happened was, is that everything became enslaved because of what happened. It became enslaved, the bondage, to corruption. What's corruption? Well, corruption is decay. That is, everything goes downhill, right? Everything that you know in this life goes downhill, All right, unless you're real young, okay, if you want to know what I'm talking about, it's the joke I always use, go look, take a look at your high school graduation picture. Right? It's everything you've ever known. It's everything you know. That's why this life is frustrating. Because the harder you try, ooh, ooh. You know, you may slow it down a little bit, but it's still going to happen, brother. No doubt. So, so if, you're, if your hope is in the things of this world, then you ought to be frustrated. Does that make sense? Because it's subject to decay, just like everything. We don't know any different. And yet Christ came to set us free from this subject to decay. And not only us, but the creation itself. You see, if you have ears to hear, this is powerful stuff for you to hear in understanding the world around you and what's going on around you. He is sharing this to say, listen, guys, you can go hitching your wagon to the things of this world, but I can promise you it's only going to be frustrating. Because everything that you have corrupts or decays. Even what's the second law of thermodynamics? I don't mean to, I like saying that because it makes me look smart. But, but it, it, it's entropy, right? Everything is unraveling, right? So then, what is it that Christ came to do? He came to set us free from that subject to decay. And the creation itself is groaning, like ah, waiting for it to be set free. It's like, ah, yeah, that makes sense because that's what happens. Everybody knows that, you know? And we wonder, you know, what does is, what is that feel? Therefore, if, if, even if we as believers get our eyes and our minds set on the things, we can become eternally frustrated. But it's not who he's called you to be. Interesting, right? In hope that the creation itself will be set free from the corruption. Can you go back? Set free from the corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So it's talking about the freedom that comes from who Christ is and what he came to do and the difference that that makes in your life. Pretty amazing, pretty amazing to think about, all right? All right, so verse 22, it says, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together, right? In the pains of childbirth until now. 
What is he talking about? Hang with me. Just, 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 it just says what it says. Okay, childbirth. Well, what is childbirth? Well, childbirth, I, I've never experienced it personally, but I have been a part of it four times, all right? Four children. And there's this picture of growing all right? But then when the time comes, new life. You hear where he's going. And then all the pain is forgotten because brand new, something brand new. It is, so why is he using this? He's saying that the, that the creation itself is kind of like in labor until now eagerly waiting to get this through so that the new can come. For those of you who have ears to hear. You see, the book of Romans is not only, is not only an explanation, but it's also, as a, if you are in Christ today, it's to share with you who you are and what eventually is happening and going to happen. All right, so the creation groans. Number, number three is that if you're in Christ, the believer groans. So what happens is if you're in Christ, the scripture says you're a new creation, right? If, you've been, if you're in him, you're in his death, you're uh, in his burial, in his resurrection, right? And, uh, and there's a new person in you. Paul talked about it last chapter about, you know, the battle that goes on inside and all of the rest that goes with it. But there is a longing inside of the believer for this to happen. In fact, the groan is like, golly, I'm so ready to get away from this battle inside. You see, the most miserable person in the world is not an unbeliever because they've never experienced. Sometimes the most miserable person in the world is the believer because of this battle, this constant battle and this groan, if you will, longing to be delivered from those things that go on inside. Well, let's read about it. Chapter eight, verse 23, it says, and not only the creation, that is, not only the creation is frustrated, but we ourselves, talking about those who are in Christ, who have the first fruits of the spirit, that is, he lives in us, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly. In other words, oh, it's time. And I think the older a person gets in their faith, the more, they, the more they're like, you know, it's time. It's time, please, God. You know, that's why the scripture tells me, even so come quickly, right? And so you have this, this, this picture, if you will, all right? As we groan inwardly, as we wait eagerly for the adoption, right? Where it's realized, and it says here, the redemption of bodies. That is the old body that's still subject to decay. See, this old body is still under the curse and it's still going downhill. But see, this is why I've talked to you about this, guys. The freedom comes in not putting all of my eggs in the basket of the temporary. Right. And again, I told you last week, look your best, right? Look your best but don't put a whole lot of stock in your appearance, right? Why? Because it's going in. And yet our world puts optimal, you know, pictures on, 
on your appearance. But that's because it's hooked to a system that's never going to come through for you. Does that make sense? It begins to, it begins to. That's why there is great freedom in being in Christ. Because you don't have to be ruled by the things in this world that can never, ever get there. In fact, at best, the downhill slope won't be as, as, as pronounced, right? Is that hopefully it won't be like this. It'll just kind of be like, okay. But it's still going down, right? My former pastor used to say it's like, you know, redecorating the furniture on the Titanic. Yeah, go spend all your time. I've got to get this furniture just right, but it's going down, right? So, you know, it's like spending your time on the temporary. That's what, that's what being in Christ does for you. It focuses you on the things that, that really matter. That doesn't mean that we're perfect. Doesn't even mean close. Because many times we have to live in this world and we get our eyes, we get, we get out of the perspective and things that, that shouldn't matter as much begin to matter way too much. And it happens to all of us. It's a constant battle, it's a constant fight. But remember, there's something inside of you, if you're his, that you're longing for that to happen, just like the creation itself is. For in this hope we were saved. The word hope in the Bible, you have to understand that the word hope in the Bible is not like the way we use the word hope. You know, I've shared this with you before, but it's so true. Hope, hope has to do with future. Hope is something that we all live by. We live by hope, you and I do. Uh, you know, they say you can live four minutes without air, but you can't live, you know, four seconds without hope. It's an amazing thing. And yet we use the word, and a lot of people don't understand, because we use the word like this. Well, well here's hoping, right? Or, boy, I hope so. What that really is translated in, what that really means is probably not, but here's hoping, Right? And, uh, and so we use this, well, we don't understand what this word means, but see, when they have to do with God's truth and God's promises to you, those who put their faith and trust in his promises, the hope is, 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 is a surety. It's an assurance. Why? Because they're his promises. And you have to consider the source there, right? All right. So we were saved, right? Now hope that is seen is not hope. In other words, he's talking to us about hope being future. For, he who, uh, for who hopes for what he sees? In other words, if, you, if, it's already, if it's already with you, if it's already present, then why do you hope for it? Because the word hope by its very nature is future tense, right? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Therefore, if we know who he is, what he's going to do, obviously, that's what happens. Number four. All right, we've got to go a little faster. Is he even talks about God's spirit groaning. This is an interesting look. There are three phases to this. There's a great comparison at the top, and then there's the creation, those who are in Christ, and then he talks about God's spirit that actually groans. I think this is interesting. Some very much misinterpreted verses here, but let's just read them for what they say. Take a look at verse 26. Likewise, the spirit helps us in our weakness. Therefore, as a believer, his spirit lives in us. And there's still weakness here because we're still subject to, right, to the downhill. And so, and so there's, this, there's this picture of God's spirit you know, strengthening those that are, that are in Christ. For we do not know what to pray for, uh, for, as, for as we ought. In other words, a lot of times we don't even know what to pray. God, I, I don't even know what this looks like. I don't know what you're doing. I don't, I don't know how it's working, but 
But there's kind of a neat thing here. It's kind of a little mystery to it. But it says, but the Spirit himself intercedes with us. Here we go. Groaning's too deep for words. What does that even mean? I don't know. No, no, totally. But it does have to do with, with understanding that it's not all us, up to us. Right? It's not all up to us. His Spirit that's at work in us to strengthen us and praying. It's interesting. It talks about groanings too deep for words. Some people try to make this to be like tongues or something, and that's just not it at all. The, the groaning has to do with what was talked about before. So the groaning has to do with part of the frustration. But God's Spirit who's at work in us, part of the frustration, if you can we put it that way, is the sin that still, still the battle that still goes on in here, right? He goes on to say in verse 27, he said, and he who searches hearts knows all right, what is the mind of the Spirit? Because the Spirit intercedes for those saints, which are believers, those who are in Christ, according to, according to the will of God. All right, let's just let it speak. So he who searches the heart. So God knows. He knows what's in your heart, even if you can't express it with words. He already knows what's there. Therefore, the words themselves are not near as much as material. I remember, I remember I had a kid, one of my kids, one of my children, uh, who, as she was learning to talk, um, she always mispronounced this one word, and 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 it was a curse word, right? You know, it was sheep. She couldn't quite get sheep out, and so. <laughs> It looked like this three-year-old, you know. But listen, I was her father. And I'm smart enough to know that's not what she's saying. Yeah, that's what's coming out of her mouth. But I know what's in her heart as a three-year-old anyway. As I got older, I didn't know, but at that time I got it, <laughs> right? So guys, you gotta know you have one who knows you. Not just what you do and what you say, but why you do it and why you say it. And that's a scary thought. Therefore, he cares about the heart much more than the words or the action. He who searches the hearts knows what's in the mind of the Spirit, right? Because the Spirit intercedes for those according, here we go, to God's will. Uh-huh, okay, God's will, God's will. You know, Today, let me just show you how bad it is today. When you hear, when, one of the, probably the greatest question I'm asked, and probably what's got the most Christian books out about it, is how can I find God's will for my life? All right, now, let me help you out here. Take off the phrase for my life. Just take it off and throw it away. And ask yourself the question, how can I find God's will? And how can I be a part of it? God, how do you want me to be a part of it? See, it's not about you. You see the little, you see the key distinguisher? We somehow think that God's will is something that it's always just gonna be perfect for me. It's just not the truth. Because some of these early believers, I tell you, these early believers rocked the world, but not in the way you want to rock the world. 
I mean, they were martyred in horrendous ways. And yet they, they were so strong in their understanding of who God was in their lives. It didn't bother them. And, and then impacted the world. So it was God's will they were martyred because of the impact it was gonna have on the, on the world. And yet, is that God's will, right? Yeah, you never know what it is, but it's what you want. Incredible. All right, let's finish this up. Freedom from defeat. Now, number one, God's at work. Now, here, verse, uh, verse 27, we're gonna read again, but verse 28 is the one I want you to see because it's one of those often quoted verses and it is usually always quoted out of context. All right, but look at 27 again. He who searches the hearts, we've already talked about that, knows what's the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to God's will. Because we know, or and we know, okay, that for those who love God, that is those who are in Christ, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to what? His purpose. I can't tell you, and I don't want to bust your bubble. If you've been quoting this wrong or fine, but see it for what it says, not for what you want it to say. And we know that all things work together for the good. Now the question is, who's good? It's not a trick question. His good. But most people say, well, it's going to be for my good. See, it's always about, that's why we live in this culture where it's always about me. And we know that God works all things together for my good. That's not what it says. It's his will. It's his purpose, not you. And I promise you, he's going to work it all together. He's got points and he's got purposes and he's got reasons sometimes that you don't even know of what he's doing around you. It's a powerful thing, but yes, God never wastes a hurt. He never wastes anything. There's always a purpose, there's always a point of where he's going and the difference that he's making around, the, around, around you. It's, it's interesting to think on, all right? Number two, God's in control. Now, this is, there's no way I have time to explain all of this. This is what chapter nine is about. But I've learned not to back up from this, even though I can't totally understand it. Look at verse 29. For those whom he foreknew. Now, what is foreknew? Well, to know beforehand, okay? Those who foreknew, he also predestined. What's the word predestined mean? Well, you know, understand the word destiny. That is who you are. Pre is before, set up before. That is what it means, okay? Uh, to be conformed to the image of his son. So he is at work in your life ultimately to conform you into the image of Christ. Those that are in Christ will eventually be like him. It's an interesting thing. Again, there's more we can talk about, but we're looking at more of a bigger picture here. So people ask me, you know, Jeff, do you believe in predestination? I'm like, well, what do you believe in? I mean, it says it, does it not? Now. Again, I don't understand it, but I don't have to understand something to trust it. Now, the question you ask yourself is, why, did Paul, why is Paul saying this? Why is he telling us about something that none of us can totally understand? Because he wants you to know 
that he's the guy in charge. I mean, I know that sounds strange that he's the guy in charge, but how else do you talk about who God is? He's the guy who's eternal. He's the guy who sees it from beginning to end. Now, we're going to talk a whole lot about this next week because chapter 9, it even gets worse or better, however you want to look at it, all right? But another, the, the thought here is, is, that, is that it's in his hands. He's in control. And there's a great comfort for those that are his, right? So he goes on to say, predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. He said, those who he, uh, um, and those who he predestined, he also called. Obviously, in those who he called, he justified. What's the word justified? That's salvation. So predestined, he knows about it, right? Called is the actual calling you to himself. Justification is the actual Justified means to make that which is not right and to make it right. Because I find it in those that he justified, he glorified. That's going to be the future tense. And so a lot of times people will ask me, you know, Jeff, do you believe in predestination? I said, well, how can you not? But here's the thought, guys. I don't understand it. And nobody does. And let me tell you why. Because I don't know about destiny, time. Destiny has to do with time. And obviously God's eternal, so he sees it from beginning to end. You just, it just is there for you to see that God, is, God has it in his hands. He's in control, and you can, you can be comforted in knowing that your heavenly Father, he's that guy, if I can put it that way. And I don't understand. I don't understand how it works. I just don't. But you know, I've been amazed through the years at the number of people that get all bent out of shape and fight with one another fight with one another, all over things that neither one of them understand. Does that make sense? Because you're not going to get this. It'll drive you nuts. You'll deny that it's true, but then what are you going to do with these verses? Right? Well, it doesn't fit to where, it doesn't matter if it fits. He explains it next week. Well, I got to stop and we'll we'll get to it next week. All right. As much as I can give you now, but, uh, but he talks about it. Uh, quite a bit next week. All right, number three, God's for us. What are we going to say then? In other words, if, <laughs> if the God who, who does all of this, foreknow, predestined, justify, glorify, if, he, if he's the one that all, he does all those things, he has all those things in hand, all right, if he's for you, then who can, who can be against you? You see what he's trying to say? This guy that has, guy, can't hold on, guy, this God who is God, has these things in his hands. So what have you been to be concerned about? Right? He's the one. <laughs> He's the one that has you. Right? He did not even spare his own son, but he gave him up for us all. How's he not going to give us, graciously give us everything else that we need? I, I don't know. It's amazing to me. You know, it's the thing we always say, my son, if, if, if you say, well, Jeff, there's no way any of us are going to live unless you give us your son, you might be in trouble. Does that make sense? But let's say I did agree to give my son to you, then I'm giving you everything. All the rest of it's minor compared to that one. Does that make sense? This is what he's saying there. He says, who's going to bring a charge against God's elect? So if God has justified you, that has made you right, then who is going to 
accuse you of anything else. You know, who's, who's going to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, he was the one who was raised and now is at the right hand of the Father making intercession for you. So who's going to condemn you? You don't have to walk around like that anymore. You don't have to walk around with the guilt and the condemnation and the beating yourself up. You're free from those things. That's what he's saying. Well, how do you know I am? Because he's in charge, right? He's in charge. It's incredible, right? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword? I mean, really, who's going to separate you? As it is written, for your sake, we've been killed all the day long, regarded as sheep led to the slaughter. Number four, we're more than conquerors. No, in all these things, we're more than conquerors through him or in him who loved us. For I'm convinced or sure, he says here, that neither death nor life, so death doesn't even have sway over you, right? Nothing, nothing can separate you from him. You know, this is why, guys, when sometimes people come to me and talk about losing, you know, their salvation, that, that you can lose your salvation, I don't know where they get that from. Because Romans is as clear as it gets. Nothing can separate you from him. Right? Death, yourself, nothing. Why? Because you're his. If you're in Christ, if you've been made dead in trespasses, sins, alive in Christ, when you take a look at all of these things, guys, why? Because it's, it's not about you and your performance. Those who think they can lose their salvation are the ones who think that they can be good enough to somehow earn it. Why? Because then you're bad enough to lose it. But if I read this correctly, which I believe I do, it's a grace thing. It's a gift given to you that you can't earn or deserve, and it can only be received by faith. That is the foundation of the book of Romans. So I don't think that death, this is what Paul says, I'm convinced now that death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ, right? And so take, take courage. Be encouraged of who you are in him. If you're in him, now, you do need to make sure that you're in him. It's not about being religious. It's not about joining a church. It's if you put your faith and trust in who he is, what he came to do. As I close, oh, oh. But as I close, I'm going to give you one illustration. It won't take long. But you know, there are pictures of Christ in the Old Testament. Noah and the boat are one. I want you to think about this for a second. And this is how I'll let you go, All right? There's this boat. There's judgment coming. God says to build this boat. Now, the boat is a picture of Christ. Now, after the boat was done, Noah and his family went where? Out loud. In the boat. You got it? So if the boat's a picture of Christ and what he came to do, then they went in the boat, being in Christ, right? And it says that God shut him in. And so judgment came, the waters. Now, I want you to know, just think about this, that Noah probably fell down many times in the boat, but he never fell out of the boat. 
He was as secure as the boat was secure. God didn't nail pegs on the outside of the boat and tell, and tell Noah to hang on. I hope you make it till the end. No, 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 no. He locked him inside. He was as secure as the boat was. That's good stuff. And it gives security and comfort freedom that you're looking for. It's just living in this world sometimes we forget we are free, right? All right, God bless you.